Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored by your decision to once again tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we take you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I'm coming to you today from my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America. And we are going to delve today into several topics that have to do with the classic entrepreneurial dilemma. Do less, live more, breathe easier with something called holistic productivity, which I cannot wait to discover more about. Now, it seems like we're programmed that we're supposed to do more in order to achieve more, but is it possible to do less in order to achieve more? This seems to be some sort of urban legend, but today's guest assures us that this is a real thing, and believe me, I could use it. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Lisa Zarodny. She's a productivity strategist and accountability coach, the founder of Positively Productive Systems, and the host of the Positively Living podcast. She helps multi-passionate creatives reduce overwhelm and boost productivity without the burnout, without sacrificing what they love. When she's not sharing the wonders of simplicity, self-awareness, self-care, and systems, oh, I love the alliteration, She'll, you'll find her hanging out with her husband and kiddos, acting like a rock star, or watching movies, or hanging out with a nice coffee and a good book, probably trapped under a cat. I can relate to that last piece. Lisa Zorani, come on in. The weather's fine. Welcome aboard. I would love some warm weather because I am coming to you from a pretty cold place right now in New York State. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much oh, for having me. Oh, boy. Well, it is actually kind of under the weather here in Las Vegas. Our winters have been coming earlier and earlier. Now, it, you may scoff and think, wow, 55 degrees and it's not snowing. Well, try living that in a desert climate, which has little to no humidity. It's agony. Now... I read off your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be in your presence. And this is my show. <laughs> so uh, what we like to do here before we dive in, and you uh, have a number of things that have me very curious, which I'll be excited to explore together with you, is we like to pull back the curtain and hear something from our guest's own words. So tell us mm -hmm. in your own version something about your journey and, and how it's brought you where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion yeah thank you for asking that because i think it's so important that we dig into the why we're even doing this like why am i talking about this topic and you know as tends to happen with so many entrepreneurs it's something of well 
I went through it. So I would like to help you maybe not go through it. And that's exactly what the situation is with me. I was a caregiver for my mom while I had my babies. Uh-huh. And I went through survival mode. She had Alzheimer's. I cared for her. I had two very little ones. I was trying to, you know, do freelance work, run a business with my husband. I describe these things now to you, and I have no idea how I managed through it. But I will say that the gift within was when I came out of it, and I was almost going to do that thing that we all do, which is, okay, what do I do next? What do I do, right? What do I add to what I'm, you know, dealing with in in order to whatever, um, change the game, make money again, help my family, you know, whatever it is, whatever the reasoning, we always want to do something. And thankfully, a voice inside me said, how about take a deep breath? How about step back and, and rest a little bit? How about take stock of what just happened to you and deal with the trauma and the grief? How about clean out the stuff that you had to leave, you know, in piles because you couldn't handle it all? And Thankfully, I listened to that voice and I went on this journey of decluttering and simplifying and taking care of myself and and really like processing everything. And it was this aha moment that really led me to where I am today. I became a professional organizer dealing with clutter, which is why even though I talk productivity, I'm always bringing up clutter into the mix. And I saw how healing it was how just how critical it is that we take stock of what we have and realize how little we need of what we try to hang on to so that that in a nutshell is what brought me to where i am today understanding how we live how our minds work what we try to hang on to how we can do the like create the best habits for the best kind of life we want and when you do that as an entrepreneur you do change the game and you can do less, but achieve more. Yeah. I'm normally one of those uh, very uh, happy, positive type guys, particularly when it comes to my podcast, but today I'm not in that kind of mood. So mm. I'm going to go a little bit dark side. Sure. Uh, did you ever, uh, I, you know, in, in all this talk of decluttering and clarity and neatness and what have you, I'm hearing minimalism and essentialism. Is that part of what you cover? I think that's such a great catch. And I would say more essentialism because I am a big fan of Greg McEwen and the whole less but better. I mean, just think about like, why do we need to go through so much? The minimalism I don't take on as a category per se, only because I'm not an on principle kind of gal. I'm a, can we find the just right, the Goldilocks amount? Yeah. So I'm trying to come up with a new word. Uh, The closest I've gotten is minimalism, but that's hard to say. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Minimalism. I can, minimalism. (laughs) I I can just about, I can just about do it. So, so, so what do you mean by minimalism? (laughs) It means, okay, you can be inspired by the idea of minimalism. You can use the concept of minimalism to ask the question, how little do I need really to make whatever it is that I want to do work, to be happy, to be satisfied in some respects, you know, but it's really, it's finding the right amount of whatever it is. It's optimizing versus minimizing. Right. Um, Have you ever had somebody try to give you some physical good that you didn't want and you knew you're going to have no need for. And when you tried to politely decline it, 
you uh they insisted and then tried to make it personal oh yeah this happens all the time it happens so much with my clients and yeah. it, it's a constant thing where people do tie up their identity and you know so much so much meaning into things and giving things and also receiving and it takes really strong boundaries now to not accept something and to say really truly I'm good a lot of times I will say I'm sure there's someone who needs that more than I do you know I, but yeah I, absolutely there are going to be some out there who are very insistent and at that yes. point you have to sometimes nod and smile and then sneak it out the back door it's as simple as that <laughs> yeah did did you did you ever tell somebody that if they insisted and they persisted that uh, you would take it from them and then throw it in the garbage right in front of them and then actually do it I did not, but I can see how you're going dark today. So. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? You certainly have the right to do that. And I think that's the thing that I, I support the most in my clients is to say, you get to decide what you need, how much you can handle, what you say yes to, what you say no to. And so if that doesn't work for you, push back because... It's not, it's like one of those, this seems like a you problem, not a me problem. I don't uh -huh. know why you insist on wanting to give me this thing. And so, you know, yeah, I would say push back however you want. And if that's the answer you want to give, I, I applaud you. Well, now let's take this, since we've taken kind of an extreme example that I mm -hmm. only ever did once in my life because somebody was really just annoying the hell out of me, insisting that I accept a golf shirt that didn't even fit me that I would never wear. And they, Wait, and, they, and, and the eye roll? Exactly. And uh, they, and uh, and uh, you, you might have guessed this was going to be uh, somebody in a family when I was growing up. And they said, mm -hmm. oh, you'll oh you'll wear it and you'll like it. You know, wow. And, and it's funny. And it's funny. I kept having accidents with uh, the the uh, ugly unstylish clothes they kept foisting on me i don't know what happened but things just tended to get ripped and permanently stained the first time i wore them i couldn't understand i could never make mm. it out i just had really bad luck now yeah. um now i also bring i also bring that up and our listeners know that i go for stories and metaphors sometimes that make people sit up and say what <laughs> but the purpose is is to get you to sit up so that you become receptive to where I'm going with this is this may sound extreme, but does it sound visceral? And even if you don't think you would ever do it yourself, have you ever felt like you wish you could go there? Exactly. Uh-huh. So now let's look at some of the other things that get in the way. Remember I mentioned at the very beginning this idea that you're supposed to do more to achieve more? And they're the things that were imposed upon us. So let's start with, I mean, what does it mean to be productive? I, I'm, I'm almost afraid of a rabbit hole here that I myself am going to dig. But, uh, <laughs> but let's define this. What, what does it mean to be productive? Exactly. Let's, let's go there, Adam, because I think that's what catches us all the time is that we have this assumption that we know what it means to be productive. And I hear so many times, you know, I'm not productive enough. I'm not doing enough. Enough comes up a lot, right? So yeah. here's why. Productivity, go classic, right? It traditionally meant doing more, creating more in a shorter amount of time. This is industrial revolution based, right? The goal was to find ways to create more things in the same amount of time. 
That's how they structured everything that we do from the workday on. Yeah. Makes sense, but we're doing things so differently now. We're trying to apply the same framework, the same structure to something completely different. We're in an information age where we interact right. completely differently. Okay, we're trying to apply the same tactic and we think it's working, but the problem I see is that the doing more, doing more mantra gets us into a trap that we don't realize. And I call it the busy trap, right? The busy badge of honor. I'm so busy. I'm doing things. You feel uh -huh. like you're doing more, you're acting more, you're more, 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 but more of what? That's actually the quintessential question. Like, what is the va the value of the time you spend? What is the productivity that you get out of it? I have seen, I have experienced environments that are so hung up on roles and procedures to the extent. Now, let me just interject that when it comes to policies and procedures, particularly in workplace situations, I have found through my own personal experience that the majority of roles and regulations or temp were short term excellent let me say this, let me say this correctly they were permanent overreaching solutions to minor temporary blips on the radar usually driven by somebody in the c-suite who had to come out of their office pounding their chest so they could be seen as being in charge and doing something it's so true. I mean, everything that I see in terms of like, as I said, work hours, you know, classic productivity that I mean, I lived a life in the corporate world of being yeah. micro micromanaged. And from an uh -huh. Been there. On, I was so annoyed by this. And I was like, you don't understand. I'm not I can produce plenty. If you gave me more flexibility, and you like stepped away, and didn't try to like, you know, hover over me and count every minute. And so I, I love being an entrepreneur for that very reason and being able to coach others in that regard. I know sometimes we're still very limited, but the more that we can step back and reflect, just like you said, on what we're actually doing with our time instead of, you know, applying rules that were done, it could be for a temporary solution or it could be on sheer principle because it's the whole traditional, that's how it's always done. It always makes me think of... Uh -huh the story about the the woman um, preparing a roast for her family and cutting off the ends and putting it in the oven oh oh, oh, oh I, I tell this one all, right? I, I tell this one all the time but please tell the whole thing for our audience Absolutely. i want somebody i want somebody else to do it for a change <laughs> you got it yeah. so she's preparing this roast cuts off the ends gets it ready puts it in the oven and her child says uh, mom why are you doing that that way? She said, well, I was taught that way by grandma. So they check with grandma. And it turns out that grandma did it that way, but she did it that way because uh, the roasting pan wasn't big enough. <laughs> and, <Yep. laughs> so, and now you could go as many generations as you want, but the point yeah, is yeah, you, you have you, to know yeah. why. 
Yeah, usually I go back to the great-grandmother who's 98 years old and was in early adolescence during the Great Depression. And the reason they cut off the ends of the roast is because they couldn't afford a bigger pan. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So wherever you want to go with this, it's yeah. asking why it was done in the first place, not just to do it because it's always done that way. And oh, that phrase makes me shudder because I think that creates so many of the problems in our world. No, so you've probably guessed by now that I'm a big fan of pattern interrupts. The bolder and more crazy, yes. the better. So <laughs> when somebody says to me, that's the way we've always done it, I'll say, yeah, and somehow despite that, you've managed to make it up until now. <laughs> and, and, then, and, then, and then give them a chance to attempt to tell me otherwise. And maybe it mm -hmm. is otherwise. Maybe there is a sound reason. Maybe they remember what it was. But just my experience when we have these um, excessively role-bound organizations, and I could, I could. There's a story that I tell on some of my episodes uh, about my boss's boss and how he had this ridiculous overreaction because I uh, logged in and worked from home because we had had a freak snowstorm and there were 24 inches of snow on the road. But somehow I should have driven through that. Oh. But, 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 but he was but he was the chief program officer and he needed to be seen as in charge and handling business so he so he came waddling out of his office and and bloviated about how i was destroying their corporate culture or some shit okay you get a thousand bonus points for excellent <laughs> use of that word and yeah <laughs> bloviating yes i, I yeah. appreciate that it, it, it is and you have to ask why and you just said why because you know he has to um prove that he's in charge now pause now pause mm. you went exactly where i wanted you to go why is it that when we have these micromanagers or these people in executive positions who feel the need to be visibly seen as mm -hmm. taking care of business being in charge getting things done which leads to micromanagement which leads to a feeling of being overly role bound at the expense of productivity or even efficacy why do they feel compelled? And is it conscious or is it subconscious or is it a combination of both? Because now what I want to do is since I cast out the real and said those mean jerks, now I want to pull back <laughs> and say, let's look at the human side of this because I believe that human beings begin as inherently good and then they become influenced by their environments, which tend to take most of us down a few notches. So what's going on here? And how can we fix them? Okay, so those are two big questions that I may I may have some thoughts on one and then the other. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, right. And it's really what I'm trying to do as a strategist and as a coach. It's what I'm trying to do with my podcast and with having conversations like this. So thank you. I think yeah. the, question, the answer to question number two, what do we do, is have these conversations. So thank you, Adam, for that. Now right. going back to one, why are they doing this? Inherently, I love the fact that you you acknowledged they, they might be uh, mean jerks, but where is it coming from? It's coming from those traditions that, that trickle down, right, of the, the, the bigger boss, bigger boss, bigger boss yep. saying, oh, we have to hit these numbers. We have to do these things that we're everyone is identifying and passing down that kind of identification of productivity as doing more and the only way that can happen is if we see you in the office doing more if we are able to control <laughs> how things are done now i i don't want to get too far into 
you know, the office politics, not having been right. there for a while, but yeah, me neither. It's remember, been almost 20 years. Yep. Yes. And, and I, and I'm loving every minute of it, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but with that in mind, it's this idea that it's perpetuated through our society. So I love that you brought this up because what I see us doing even as entrepreneurs is the same kind of mindset. And so I realized that a big part of what I work on, and I know mindset's this you know fabulous buzzword that people bring up all the time, but that I do work with productivity mindset along with actual productivity techniques, because the first thing you have to understand is what your preconceived notions are about it. And I think it's just permeated from the top down in corporations. I think it's permeated through society. I I know I, I see fellow moms doing it where we're like, we should be doing this and doing this and doing that. And I said the word quickly, but I'll say it again. It was the word should. Oh my goodness. That's a that's a trip hazard, uh-huh. you know, right? It's all these preconceived notions of what we're supposed to be doing, how much we're supposed to be doing, and we carry that along with us. And that leads to this desire. Sometimes we want to get away from it because we can't possibly do it. So then we end up, and this is perpetuated in corporate America big time, uh, we end up looking busy, right? Well, I'm doing something. So, yep. But again, to what end is the question. And yeah, then we get into, um, I haven't mentioned the phrase, but it's time to bring it up is hustle culture. And it drives me crazy because I never said I wasn't a high achiever. I never said I wasn't creating things and doing things and helping other entrepreneurs achieve great things. But this hustle and grind philosophy that that's the only path to get where you need to go to push is a recipe for burnout. Yep. Uh, having been there and done that myself. So here's here's a couple other things. I'm going to bring up uh, one or mm. two other examples, and then I'm going to tell you where I'm going with it. Uh, do you have people of, and I, I mean, I don't know your age, and I'm not asking you to date yourself, but just based on my research, I think you and I are probably late Gen X. Am I right about that? I don't know if I'm late Gen X or not, but I'm definitely Gen X. <laughs> okay. I'm, um, I, I like to describe myself as a Gen Xer who's basically a a millennial who got there three years later. In other yeah. words, I was born in 1976. Yeah. So, uh, yep. so uh, the reason the reason I bring this up is you and I probably have friends, people we know, possibly our cousins, what have you, who will say, "Oh boy, uh, I tell you that there's that one time that I thought I could smart off to my mom like that, and uh, she beat me until I couldn't sit for a week, but I turned out fine, and thanks to her for setting me straight." Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. The fact that they talk about it constantly means they're not fine and they're trying to process it and not sure what questions to ask or even there are questions available to help them dissect the fact that they were essentially abused. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so So you have that one. And then there's, and then there are, um, you know, traditions that, sometimes are good and sometimes are bad to get passed down, particularly in the family dynamic. I'm sure you've heard the, the heard of the concept that, uh, you know, like if you are having an argument with your spouse or your partner, you're actually having the exact same argument, possibly even almost word for word, that your great grandparents had with each other, because mm-hmm. that's how pervasive the cycles are. Now you and I are of approximately within that zone that, 
we are among the first generation, we, we actually basically are the first generation that had reliable and consistent access to high-speed internet on powerful machines at a point where search engines became repositories for valuable information in the hosting of community forums. What this means is we were the first generation that was able to gain the knowledge, the resources, and the community to enable us to question and break cycles. Mm. That's why millennials are quote unquote lazy. They're actually not lazy at all. In fact, some of the most uh, productive people I know happen to be millennials. They just don't accept because I told you so. That's why is an answer to anything and nor should they. Yeah, I love that about them. I've I've said for the longest time, I'm like, I'm a pro-millennial Gen Xer and proud yeah. of it because they're getting it right. And and subsequent generations continue to do that where it's not that, well, I'll just accept it on principle. And that doesn't mean they're being disrespectful. It means that they're questioning properly. It, precisely. And, you know, we see how things are changing. Uh, for, for example, progressively, we're seeing voicemail disappear. Mm-hmm. When, Lisa, when's the last time you checked your voicemail? And you can be candid about this. Like, actually picked up your phone, pressed the buttons, and listened to it. Yeah, who knows? Um, in part, I will tell you that one of the only reasons I probably check it is because now there's visual. It's basically text-based, and it's right there, you know, next to my recent calls. So I'll it's say, very I, easy, right? I, I set up the pins, you roll the strikes. So, uh -huh. uh, so yeah, there may be the incoming voicemails, but we're not, generally speaking, pressing a sequence of buttons followed by another sequence of buttons and then listening and then say, to store this message, press seven. To delete it, press... <laughs> we're not doing that anymore. We now have applications... I can still do the voice, though, but yeah, yeah no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah, we now have applications that are basically standard at this point mm -hmm. where if you do receive one of those voicemail things, you can have it artificially intelligently transcribed and sent to you as a text message as an im as an email through yep. any number of modalities where it just gets fed to you and what we're seeing is voicemail is sort of like cassette tapes as, as i see it uh, cassette tapes were great when they were the state-of-the-art thing, but then CDs came along. And then we moved on to the idea of thumb drives, and now we have streaming. So with voicemail, it's largely being supplanted by other technologies that are just simply more efficient. Uh, you see big companies, Coca-Cola, for example, that are in the process of, in stages, eliminating voicemail from their systems. Right. And I mean, when you have such incredible chatbot technology, right, where you uh -huh. can immediately have a conversation that way. And may I interject with one thing that I'm immediately thinking of and the thing that I probably have bonded the most with with millennials <laughs> is this whole like, what do you mean I have to make a phone call? <laughs> Yeah, like what? Like what is a phone call? You know, I've gotten clients without ever speaking with them on the telephone. I, uh, yeah. I, I have somebody in my business I've been working with for almost five years. I've never heard her voice. Nice. And uh, and 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 uh, and the producer of this podcast we're on right now has been with us for ten years. I don't know her phone number. On those very rare occasions I've needed, I've had to ask her for it each time. Yep. 
So, uh, and, and and we're talking long-term business relationships here, where the idea of a phone number and calling somebody is something you just don't see as much of. So going a little bit further with the voicemail thing, and this comes back to the idea of efficiency, mm-hmm. what we see a lot, and this is what I get from a lot of people I know who are in the Gen Z range at this point, uh, is if they have, if they're holding this thing called a smartphone and an incoming call comes in, they're going to wait for it to stop ringing and pause the texting or scrolling they were doing so they don't accidentally answer it. So they'll sit there impatiently and wait for it to stop ringing so they can get back to what they were doing. They'll then look at the caller ID, and if they recognize the number, they will text that person back and say, saw you called, what's up? Yep. That is just simply a shifting of modalities. And uh, that is part of what I mean by cycle breaking. So imagine if somebody had uh, told us 20 years ago that we would ever be here. Would you believe it? Yeah, it's like not something you could have ever imagined. But if you stay open to it, then, you know, it's it's that one step at a time. And I think that when we create it's so important that we don't try to jump ahead too much because when you think about it now, you're like, whoa, how did this happen? Well, it happened one step at a time and it happened with those of us being willing to adopt uh, these technology shifts. Uh, AI is a huge one right now. Everybody was up in arms. I immediately got a conversation going on the podcast uh, to say, okay, can we just take a deep breath, please? It's going to be all right. Uh Uh-huh some things we need to think about and, uh, you know, ask some good questions. Right. I became interested in the question of how often or the percentage of incoming calls that get answered in corporate office environments, Hmm. like incoming calls. And I remember asking this question of the great Al Borowski, Borowski, who was one of my early mentors in the field of communication back in 2002. So we're going back over 21 years at this point. And at the time, he said probably about 10 to 15% of incoming calls actually get answered live. Wow. So at the time, I was in a corporate environment, and I had a supervisor who was out of the office a lot because the nature of his job is he went to various places in the community to represent the organization. He wasn't in marketing. He was actually in community relations. So he attended a lot of uh, stakeholder meetings, shareholder meetings, uh, community meetings, things like that. So he was frequently calling into the office to get a hold of me. And one day he came to me complaining. He said, you know, I've been tracking the our, our calls and you only answer 33% of the time that I call you. Two thirds of my calls you don't answer. And I looked him right in the eye and I grinned and I said, cool, where's my raise? Hmm. Because because I'm overperforming by a factor of two to one here. The average is 15. And as far as your spreadsheet, uh, I and I, I even said this to him. I said, as far as the spreadsheet you claim you're tracking, I've I've seen the questions you've asked me about how spreadsheets work. You are not tracking our calls. <laughs> now, now, two years later, he and I discussed this, and uh, we had a good laugh over it. But at the time, uh, it was one of those things where, to me, like, you know, seriously? <laughs> this was about a year or two before texting before became a major thing. Gotcha. Yeah, and uh, that in itself was a few years before voice-to-text 
became a major thing. So if you had fast forwarded that same conversation about five or six years, he probably would have been voice texting me a lot. I would have been getting them on my computer screen. I would have been typing responses. Irony. Uh, yeah. So we have had some cycles of energy here that have run the gamut, all thanks to me. Uh, so I'm candidly a little amped up here in a good way. Part of it is my enthusiasm for this topic. It's really visceral for me. So what we're dealing with here partially is the idea of energy management and how different energies influence our memories, influence our reactions, influence our analysis. And we've seen a gamut of examples here, some of which I'm so honored that you were willing to uh, play with me on uh, to enact. So we have energy management versus time management. And you've argued that we need to care about energy management versus time management. So why is that? So time management, I know we love to use that term. I know, uh -huh. again, this goes back to classic productivity and the, the systems that we have in place. And we're talking about how much time do we have and how do we manage it. So I understand where the phrase comes from, but then we focus so much on the time of it that we lose sight of the other elements <laughs> that actually really influence, you know, how we show up. So I yeah. actually like to, to refer to that as priority self and energy management. Okay. Uh -huh. So it's understanding, you know, ourselves. I always say self-awareness is our number one productivity and basically life tool, right? Understanding how we work. And then of course, prioritizing, we'll get to that, but that energy management part. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Best example I can use is my kiddos who are like, you know, solidly in Gen Z. So everything you describe is like so on point <laughs> as far as how they how they act. Well, uh, energy management is they have 0, 0.00 interest in cleaning their rooms until I say, hey, remember that thing you wanted to do? As soon as your room is clean, we can go ahead and do that. Oh, you just finished cleaning your room while I was asking you. <laughs> Like it's that fast uh -huh. to me that represents, you know, anytime we're like highly motivated by something or we want to do something with a person that we really enjoy or energy management. I was actually a little lower energy, but right now this conversation is like, you know, really, um, it is energizing me. So uh -huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm in a different space now because of that. It's understanding what brings us joy, what, is energy giving and energy draining in terms of tasks. It's understanding yep. people, right? Um, the people who are trying to give us stuff that we don't want to take and, and yep. telling us for our own good. Uh, it's seasons of the year. Um, even what you said to me when we first hopped on about how you are having your version of a winter. And, it, and this is a great example of can we stop comparing and contrasting because everyone's experience is their own yeah your winter is your winter and it's going to change how you feel and how you what energy you bring to what you're doing so i just think it's so incredibly important that we think about how we work best you know and that also goes into the when of it not only in seasons but when during the day all of these things comprise our true productivity path where we achieve what we want to achieve and we do it in a way that can actually feel a lot easier than trying to push and force through some kind of system that someone else said will work or that you have to do.
Right. Well, you uh, you have given me some energetic vibrations here as well. So before I get into that, I'm going to be very pithy about it. Uh, mm. I do want to I do want to mention that very. Uh, okay. Here, here's where I'm going to go with this. So. Uh, you recall that when you first logged in and we were in the green room before we started, I was basically muttering and I could have said something under my breath for all you know. It's like, okay, <laughs> what's this one going to be about? That is because I had just had four and a half hours of calls that wouldn't freaking end. Mm. And it's like, oh, okay. But then we do then we do the part like you do with every guest because i leave the recorder running by default so that i don't forget to press record and lose the entire episode and mm -hmm. i and i remember saying the phrase uh I, I just need 10 seconds so my editor knows where to cut mm -hmm. and did you notice how a switch seemed to turn on as soon as I, as soon as i began my narrative intro yes yeah uh that's my ability to summon it at will and the energy that hosting my podcast brings to me the mm. exciting prospect of looking forward to a mastermind level back and forth with you and your uh, willingness and to me perceived as eagerness to play along with a few of those somewhat extreme examples I gave at the very beginning uh, told me this one's going to be really interesting exactly and so yeah. what you're talking about too is getting into a flow state which is uh, uh -huh. such a favorite topic of mine and so at once you've practiced and you're doing it you know in conjunction with something that really is energizing to you that you love and we both feel this way about podcasting about you know um having these conversations you can get into it that fast and that's it's impressive yeah. and it's awesome that you can get into it in like 10 seconds but yeah that is definitely energy management yeah, so before we started and probably for about the first five, ten minutes of our official conversation, uh, if you were dealing with me in person, it might have been somewhat exasperating to a lot of people, possibly even to you. But you saw whether you were conscious of this, but I perceived it, how the energy you brought to this moved me in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And this and this is a very micro thing you can see the macro impacts it can have and the ripple effect that it will cause. Mm, I love how you said that. Yeah, how how we show up for others can make a big difference. And I show up as a guest willing to share whatever needs to be shared to make it a good conversation, to make it valuable, to roll with it and to be, you know, I often say, you know, I'm an easy guest, just not cheap, but you know, <laughs> that, that it's like you have a hard enough time and it takes a lot to produce a really good show. So I'm going to be the part that's like, oh, that was seamless. She was awesome. Great. Yeah. That's my intent. That's the intention I show up with. So yeah so combining energy and productivity uh why do we as serial entrepreneurs and i have a follow-up question this let's do this part for, part first mm -hmm. why do serial entrepreneurs or multipreneurs uh two different animals but cousins uh yeah. especially need to approach this whole concept of productivity 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 <laughs> and pronouncing words properly differently than others might I'm so glad you asked. And I was almost going to say, that's easy for you to say. That's what I do every time I trip over a word. So, 
yeah. So serial entrepreneurs, multi-passionates, uh, you know, I have them together in a category of the people that are, I think, most mis- misunderstood. That was easy for me to say. Misunderstood. Uh-huh. <laughs> so here's here's on the most basic level, the reason why serial multi-entrepreneurs need to approach productivity differently. The most basic, simplest answer is that the do more leads to burnout. We covered that already, Uh but let's get into some specifics. All right. So uh, I did mention being misunderstood. Okay. So I specialize with multi-passionates and serial entrepreneurs in part because I am one. So there's a unique combination here that I understood they're the hardest workers, the highest achievers, the ones who love so much, but they feel out of place because we're in this singular focus world of productivity techniques. Mm-hmm. They're given like a lot of disrespectful advice, like um, cut things out, just limit what you do, just pick one. Have you ever heard that one? I want to smack people when they tell this me is, that. Th- th- this is actually kind of where my follow-up question is going, but you keep going down the path you're taking us. Okay. All right. So, you know, everyone's claiming magic bullets and they're singular. It's like, but the magic comes from who you are and how you, the reason I said holistic productivity w- could be, you know, what we're talking about today is this idea when you think holistically, you're seeing all the connections. You're not only seeing like the connections of everything you do in life, you know, your personal time, me with my book and my cat, or, you know, actually playing in a rock band with my family or do whatever Uh it is that I'm doing. But also all the things that we love coming together to energize us goes back to energy management again, right? That sometimes we're told, okay, we'll just cut those things out because you don't have enough time. And it's like, whoa, but if I cut that out, I'm cutting out an essence of me. And then I don't show up as well in all the other things that I'm doing. That's the magic of finding the right productivity, like combination, the harmony that, and that's why thinking about productivity differently is so important, but wait, there's more, how much would you pay? Uh, (laughs) um, So time and task management, it's inherently more challenging when you have more to do. And so serial entrepreneurs are going to have more to do. And going back to that like idea where we have productivity traditionally put, okay, think about the planners on the shelves. Have you ever, <laughs> as a serial entrepreneur, picked one up and been like, I couldn't possibly fit what I do into this thing? This is like for one person with one job. Do like, <laughs> like what? It, it, it doesn't take into account our multifaceted lives. Right. So here's my follow-up. The mm. multi-passionate entrepreneur or multipreneur, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So there are two conflicting energies and messages we get as entrepreneurs, and there are famous books named after both of them, uh, one of which is the concept of having multiple streams of revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, this can This can involve asking the simple question, what else do my clients need, and providing that rather than sending them to your competition. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can actually create on the fly if somebody says, "Uh, by the way, can you also help me with? And you can say, why, yes, I can. You can create another line of business on the fly just like that. That's the power of being an entrepreneur. As uh, Sir Mm -hmm. Richard Branson would say, say yes, then figure it out later. Well, figure it out sooner since you're getting paid for it in this (laughs) case. But yeah, Uh, so you have that energy. And then there's the value of multiple streams of revenue because it allows for more rising tides to buoy more boats. It also protects you uh, 
from to a degree from shifts in the marketplace. And sometimes it's just great to have variety. But then you have this other thing that says you've got to pick one thing and just do that, which then comes into conflict with scientific studies that show that multitasking is counterproductive, all things being equal, generally speaking. So you're looking around, you're thinking, what the heck am I supposed to do? Now, my primary line of work is working with entrepreneurs to launch your podcasts. And <laughs> based on public demand, we also got into the, the editing, production, and promotion business, which is great. Uh, but, you know, I need more streams of revenue, and I'm developing more stuff. So on the one hand, it's exciting to know that I'm reaching out, I'm having conversations with people. In fact, you and I had an online dialogue about this earlier today as of the day we recorded this. And uh, you and you saw that there are some other avenues that I'm looking to expand the reach system into beyond just podcasting. Now, some would say, congratulations, that's great for you. And then there's others who would say, How's anybody going to take you seriously? One minute you're talking about podcasting, next minute you're talking about author marketing collaboratives, then you're going into email list building, then you're going into artificial intelligence, and then you're going into enhanced email sequences, and then you're going into uh, throwing magic dust on uh, webinar recordings to make them sound NPR quality. Like, who, who's going to believe you're good at anything? You seem like you're all over the freaking place. But why can't? But what? But why can't somebody do all those things? See, that the conflict, sounds, the conflicting energies. Right. Well, that sounds like the people who were uh, are definitely not multi-passionate for starters. Yeah. That, that's been my chief complaint because I'm like, did people give Da Vinci a hard time about this stuff? Like, hey, I thought you were, um, you know, a, a military strategist. I thought you were an architect. Um, why are you painting this chick? What? Who is she? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What's this helicopter thing you developed? Right. What, what's uh -huh. that all about? Is anybody going to take you seriously when it comes to yeah. this um, painting that you have in the gallery that everyone seems to dig? Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, think about poor Elon Musk. How dumb and confused he must be. I mean, I mean, one minute he's. He's in electric cars, then he's digging tunnels, then he's launching rockets, then he's owning social media in more ways than one. It's like uh, he, he's just a complete scatterbrain. Why would you listen to him? Yeah, you remember that <laughs> rabbit hole you said you were going to dig? I feel like yeah. I need you to hand me the shovel. And uh -huh. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and why yes, and, and, and why and Lisa, Lisa, yeah. why the hell is Jeff Bezos getting involved in supermarkets? What right? is going on with that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so whether or not they are prime examples for us, I will say this. You know what you're passionate about. You know what you want to achieve. You know what your goals and your values are. Or if you don't, now's the time to figure it out and to reflect. So you expand into different income streams. You expand into different things for a variety of reasons, right? Because sometimes... You're extremely passionate about them. You love them and you want to explore them. Sometimes uh -huh. they're income producing, sometimes they're not. Right now, my music is not income producing, but I'd like it to be if we can get uh -huh. some gigs. Uh, you know, but yeah. at, at the same time, it's really because that's for my sanity, because that's what I love, because it, it changes how my brain works and how I show up. Great. So it's understanding how each of the things that you're doing plays into your life and what you want to achieve. 
achieve. When people say, oh, how is anyone going to take you seriously? You know, my answer is usually, I don't want them to. I don't take me seriously. What's that all about? But yeah. they're going to know if I can help them. They're going to know if they're like, oh, I have been talking to people about productivity for a while now. I've tried to figure out lots of stuff. I've gotten plenty done, but I'm missing something. You sound like a lot of fun to work with and like you know what you're talking about, Lisa. All right, let's do this. That's all that needs to happen. <laughs> right. Right. That's right. It. Precisely. So what is one step that we can take to declutter our lives? So understanding what clutter means, right? Uh, I love Peter uh, Walsh's quote that clutter isn't just the stuff on the floor, but it's anything that gets in between you and the life you want to be living. I'll say uh -huh. that one more time. Anything that gets in between you and the life you want to be living. So what other people think is clutter, like maybe those multiple income streams or the different things you're trying and doing. It's, if it's not clutter to you, if it's not getting in the way of the life you want to be living, but it's helping you create it, not clutter. Let's make that distinction. Now, I will say this. As a serial, multi-entrepreneur, whatever you want to call yourself, the one with all the ideas, the innovators, we kind of have this built-in clutter creator too, right? Uh -huh. Because how many times did you have you come up with this brilliant idea and then you're like, wow, that seemed like a good idea at the time. Okay, maybe not, uh -huh. right? But we have to work our way through it. We have to, sometimes we have to try it. Sometimes we have to try it and then be like, mm, okay, not so much. And sometimes we try it and we're like, boom, yeah, that's it. So we do have to be careful understanding what clutter is. Is it working for us or isn't it? So one of the best steps to help us declutter our lives is by getting clear on what our filters are. And what I mean by that is just like you walk into a room and you say, this is my dining room. And what we do in here is we have family meals together. So what belongs in there? Or kitchen might be the easiest thing, right? You're like, oh, well, I eat in here. I prepare food in here. You know, I don't keep my encyclopedias in here. Who has encyclopedias? That's really dating myself. But the point is, yeah. <laughs> you know what belongs in there. Well, same thing for you, your life, your business. What are you, what's your purpose or purposes? Um, depending upon what you're working with, that could be your mission. What are your goals? What are your intentions? What are your values? When you get clear on those filters, now you are going to have, just like a filter sounds, this understanding of what belongs and what doesn't. And that's going to help in the decision making, in the prioritizing of things that come in, like those emergent tasks or, or queries or demands that other people make in as much as you have a say in what comes in. But for entrepreneurs, you really do. So no matter who it is and what it is, if something is urgent, I always say, who's urgent is it? So when it comes in, you compare it to those filters you've created that's going to help you declutter quite a bit without losing what you love. That's great. So the next item is this thing about to-do lists. Mm. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I'm actually a big fan of project management systems. I use a project management system just to manage me. Uh, sure. that's, that's because it gives me a dashboard I can check stuff off. Uh, and also gives me the flexibility to move things around as necessary, but also allows me to figure out what is the optimum balance of uh, energy and productivity that I can make to accomplish the most while sometimes doing the least. Is, I love you know, that. Yep. So what are the steps to creating a to-do list that doesn't trap you? 
So the idea of being trapped by a to-do list really comes from the fact that I've seen so many people with a to-do list that isn't really a to-do list. Uh-huh. Okay, it's the I've done a brain dump, which is a big part of what I do. I have um, a worksheet. I call it the focus file because I'm obsessed with alliteration. But it's this idea of doing a mind sweep a la David Allen and getting things done. And, you know, taking stuff out of our brains and putting them in a safe place as a capture. Then figuring out how to process it, putting it in a project management system, task management system, putting it in an official list putting it in a calendar wherever it is. But the problem I see is that there's uh-huh. this big capture that has this, like I call it the Harry Potter extension charm on it, where you just add, 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 and nothing ever seems to be going anywhere. That's not your to-do list. That is your to-choose list. Uh-huh. And you need to process it. So I came up with the four Ds for tackling your to-do list, but essentially it means getting to the real to-do list. The first one we kind of talked about already, which is deleting, it's not listing what you don't intend to do. And that's not, you know, the decluttering part. So there's stuff on there that's lingering. That may have been a good idea at the time. Uh, You know, outdated obligations that you're like, how did this even get on there? Whose idea was this? Really understanding that there's stuff that doesn't belong. And that's, that's like having a, a deep conversation with yourself. It's getting really real. When you're like, okay, I have to admit, and that, especially for people who struggle to, you know, they're obligers to others, right? Um, yeah. When you have codependence, you know, when you're really trying to show up, you're a people pleaser, you want to be liked, that can be challenging. But I'm encouraging you, the first D is definitely to delete. You don't want to list what you don't intend to do. It's just like you declutter before you organize because you don't want to organize what you don't intend to keep. That's wasted energy, right? All right. Number two is to delegate. And that's asking the simple question. Mm -hmm. It's a simple question to say, maybe not so simple um, in terms of how to apply it, but you never know. It's giving yourself the creative with the question, how can it get done? And you notice I didn't say, oh, how can I do this? No, I said, how can it get done? Going passive voice and the English major in me is like, ah, I know we're not supposed to do that, but we need to because it opens up our brains to being creative. Oh, okay. Maybe I could pay someone. Maybe I could barter with some someone. Maybe I could automate it. Technology is a fantastic way to delegate things that you have been repeatedly doing that are not they're not quality for what you're trying to achieve. Uh-huh. It's the busy work, right? All right. Number three is to delay. And I really like this one because when you struggle to take something off the list, you really want to keep it, but you also know it's okay. It doesn't have to be a someday thing, but it's also a not now, but it's taking up space in the prime real estate of your mind, your list, you know, it's, it doesn't need to be there because it's going to distract you. Not everything needs to be done immediately, even if it can feel that way. And so that can be delaying. This is not a morning thing. This is an afternoon thing. This is not a this week thing. It's a next week thing. This is not a this month thing. It's a few months or maybe a revisit. So it's deferring until you have those other components in place, until you have the space, time, energy, to tackle 
whatever it is that you have. So that delay is a beautiful thing because how many times have you had something languish on your to-do list and you're like, I'm not getting to that. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? I'm just, as opposed to saying intentionally, nope, that's not right now. I'm going to remove that, put it somewhere else, kind of park it. We Sometimes they're called parking lots, right? Yep. Uh, and then, you know, you come back to it, you revisit it and how, that's a different energy entirely. It's so freeing. So that was three D's and the fourth one. And these, by the way, some of these concepts are not new, but the order in which I've done them is specific to me. I haven't seen them in this order before. And here's why. When you delete, delegate, and delay, then you finally come to the do, and that's actually the real to-do list. Now, after you've done those other things and you've removed how much? Now it's time to take action. Now you apply all those classic productivity tools that you know, prioritizing, you can apply the Eisenhower matrix, you can use the Pomodoro technique and do sprints and get into a flow state. But how much easier was it to organize and tackle that to-do list than the first one we started with? Yeah. That's great, and I love the alliteration. I'm a big fan of alliteration and acronyms. Yeah, uh, there you go. Are, and, and alliteration and acronyms, when speaking about alliteration and acronyms, that, that's, that's fantastic. So I want to... This is something that I challenge people to do, and it's telling how they struggle with this concept. So let's say somebody has a lot of emails in their inbox and they're saying, I don't know how I'm ever going to get through all these emails. Mm -hmm. So you figure that there's probably a whole buildup of emails because they've been using it as a de facto task list or to-do list, or they haven't uh, properly disposed of emails such by deleting or archiving that they've already dealt with. Mm -hmm. Or there's a lot of stuff coming in that they really are getting copied on, but they don't even need anyway. They're being copied on it to cover somebody else's ass. So you want to, so you want to know how I tell somebody to get a, 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 and there's also this fear of, well, if I delete it, then what? And we can go down uh, an entire, an entire field of rabbit holes on that one. True. So do you want, do you want to, do you want a, a zero inbox? You want no emails in your inbox? I can't wait to hear what your advice is. Mark it, mark everything in your inbox is red and archive everything in your inbox. Now you have a zero inbox. There you go. If something that somebody sent to you is that important to them that you not having gotten back to them is going to be an issue, they will follow up. Yeah. If you suddenly remember, oh, yeah, I have this email about something. You didn't delete it. You archived it, which means you can still use the inbox's search feature to locate it. Yeah, uh, that's the the brilliant thing about the technology we have now is that you can remove it from, I refer to it as your prime real estate, right? What's right in front of you? Yeah. What are you seeing? What are you scrolling through? That's where the clutter concept comes in, that it's getting in your way of finding the things that you want. And yes, I understand that we have the search feature in the inbox that's like, you know, crazy, crazy with all kinds of stuff. But it also reminds you of all the stuff that you haven't looked through and it, it's a different kind of stress and energy. So to your point, you know, marking it red, archiving it, the advice that I tend to give is to 
create like a second um, inbox, if you will, like where you move all of that over if you want to process it and start fresh with a couple of just a few, like one to three, I'm talking basic rules of where are things going to go. And as they come in, you spot them. Now you can also do some really amazing like bulk unsubscribing. Um, I love to attack promotional stuff because how many times do we sign up for something, uh, you know, because we got a new project management system and now they're sending us emails and we're like, I don't need that. Why are, why am I on this list? Like, I understand that comes with, you know, the territory, but you are also allowed to say, hmm, I don't need this now. If I have a problem, I will go to the support center on their website and I will contact them. The biggest thing I think in email is saying it, it, it make it on your terms, not theirs. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like if you belong to a committee and what will happen is, is one person will send an email to one other member of the committee and they'll, mm -hmm. cop and they'll copy everybody. Yeah. And then every other person on there will chime in. Cool. Awesome. Got it. Yeah. Received. Thanks. Reply and then, all. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then and then and then the reply all start replying all to the replying all, and then somewhere down the line somebody says, you know what, we should probably set up, we should probably set up a distribution list so we all have each other's email addresses, and then that triggers everybody replying to all to give uh, a reply to all so that everybody has the reply to all to everybody's email address, and then uh, all the lists of the slowly growing accumulated email addresses, all of which are on the CC line are being accumulated through 30 more emails so next thing you know we have 98 emails on a on a subject and i was yeah i used to be involved in a um in a local networking group and i was on a committee and this stuff started happening so i just started deleting all the emails yeah i was about to say you paint a picture as though you've experienced this person yeah i know uh -huh. you have i have so uh -huh. that's another speaking of filters there's a whole different kind of filter but it's a similar concept um in email that's one of my favorites where it's like if stuff is going to come through you can bypass your inbox if you're just like i want to hold on to it i mean yeah you can delete it too but if you want to hold on to it and then you know take a few minutes to be like is this all reply all nonsense or uh -huh. is there anything in here i need to look at it, it goes right to a folder and for that committee or whatever and then it, you don't have to deal with it in your inbox so that's another way to do right. it right yeah there's a yeah and and now really pause here with uh, one more thing that i learned from the legendary al borowski way back in the day mm -hmm. is even if you're replying to an email, you can still change the subject line to reflect the fact that the direction of the thread has changed. Uh, there's, this, there's this fun yes. little feature with when you click reply or reply to all or whatever, that you can go to the subject line section and click edit. Yeah. And by, <laughs> and, by, and by editing it, you can now take that thread and move it in the direction it actually needs to go. Like I, like, like, like I could write a subject line that says, if one more person suggests a distribution list, I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to delete all of you. <laughs> so this has been, this has been uh, one of our more interesting conversations on the show for sure. And this is why I love our mastermind format. So your gift to us is you have a podcast called Positively Living. Uh, do less, live more breathe easier and from one podcast to another i absolutely love this now what's also really cool is when people go to your website which is at positivelyproductive.com mm -hmm. there is a link there that says 
podcast. And there are so many different ways to consume it. You have the digestive episodes where you can scroll and binge. You have mm-hmm. the links to different networks so they can subscribe to wherever they enjoy podcasts about being positively productive. And you also take the reach approved step of adding a blog post for each episode, which right. is very important. So aside from the fact that it's not on a separate website, if I were grading this, I would say you got the podcast reach system almost perfect. Well, thank you. That is uh that's a big compliment. And yeah, I that, 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 that is a, that is a big round smiley face seal of approval. So wow. everybody go to positivelyproductive.com forward slash podcast uh, and there is some real bingeable stuff in there it's a combination of lessons from lisa and conversations with Mm -hmm. declutterers and other types of of noble warriors to help us be more positively productive go check that out with that lisa zarotny thank you so much for being with us today it's been an honor and believe me in education oh adam thank you it was truly my pleasure We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.